Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey everyone, PA here, Pastor Adam Bird, and thank you uh, for tuning in to our Every Nation channel. And I got news for you this morning, man, God has got a word for you. Uh, before we uh, crack open the Bible this morning, I, I need a, just a little disclaimer. And my disclaimer is this, is that this morning I might feel a little bit intense. Like I've tried to throw some levity and maybe a few laughs in here and there, but, but the nature of what we're talking about today is intense because I believe we're in a fight and fights by nature are intense. I know a little something about it. You know, uh, in my uh, NHL National Hockey League career, the stats say I had like roughly 95 fights. Uh, the stats also said that I only won four of them. <laughs> so I wasn't very good at it. And so I, I'm highly in tune with, uh, man, the, the nature of fighting and how, man, you can get hurt. I've had uh, um, uh, over 400 stitches. Uh, I've had uh, uh, a knee reconstruction. I've had five back surgeries. And if you want to have a, a good laugh, just watch me try and put a pair of socks on. <laughs> All right. Um, I've dislocated located uh, my finger, uh, my pinky, it wouldn't go back in, and my shoulder, and it wouldn't go back in either. Uh, as well, I've, I had a, a slap shot. I took a hockey puck right to my jaw. It split my jaw in half here and here. They had to wire my mouth shut. Uh, it was wired shut for three weeks, and get this, I gained weight. <laughs> and so uh, I also got uh, another slap shot uh, in the cheekbone. It shattered my cheekbone and uh, I had to have a uh, 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 surgery and I had, uh, what was it, 13 plates and 42 screws uh, put in on this side of my face. But not to be outdone, um, I got in a fight with a guy by the name of Rick Tockett. Rick is much tougher than me. And we dropped the gloves and we were fighting. And I thought to myself, I'm doing really good in this fight. Until next thing I knew, Rick talking, he switched hands and he hit me with the left and he just shattered the side of my face. In fact, the, the surgeon said it looked like a shotgun wound uh, in my face. And so they're actually wheeling me in. I'm, I'm high on morphine and they're wheeling me into surgery. And uh, the nurse is actually, hey, would you sign this picture for my son? <laughs> right there. So signing an autographs on my way into, into surgery. Right. And so so we did that. But but here's the th crazy thing. Um, after surgery, they put in more plates and screws um, after the surgery. Uh, my eye didn't function properly. It didn't track with the other eye. And so I got double vision. And I don't know if you realize this, man, but it's hard enough to play in the NHL when you see one Wayne Gretzky, but when you're seeing two, that's a problem. And you know, I say all that to say this, I see a problem that we have in the world today. Number one, I want you to know that, that we're all, we're in a fight. And number two, I, I want to warn you against uh, double vision. I see a lot of double vision uh, Christians uh, out in the world that, that they're, man, they're kind of Christian and kind of in the world. And that's just a bad place you don't want to be. And so get this, over the next 26 weeks or so, uh, we're going to uh, do a new series. We're just calling it the ABCs of Faith, uh, a Biblical Worldview. And in it, man, worldview just simply means the way you view or see the world. And while there, there, there may be a few other options, it basically boils down to two worldview options for you and for me. You can have a, a secular worldview 
or a biblical worldview. Um, the, the, the word secular, if you, if you break it down in its etymology, secular, it simply means belonging to the world. I was so alarmed when I saw that, man, that, that man, you can have a worldview that belongs to this world, this world system, um, or you can have another worldview, uh, belonging to the Word of God, a biblical worldview. And I think that's where we want to stand. You know, uh, Barna, the research group, they, they, were, uh, they actually recently did a study, and they said uh, they had some alarming stats. They said roughly 4% of adults in our nation have a biblical worldview. In other words, they view all of life through the lens uh, of the scriptures. And so here's the result uh, of those numbers, man, is that, that, that we're all experiencing, I think, what I would just call vertigo, spiritual vertigo, double vision, if you will, that, that we, we kind of have a little bit of a Bible in us and, and a little bit of the world, man, and it's, it's, it's uh, throwing us off balance. In fact, uh, uh, James, he actually says, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 80, says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I see double-minded Christians um, out there. But there's also a second group. Uh, the second group is this, man, you're just biblically illiterate. You have no idea what the scriptures say, and, and you're fulfilling uh, the prophecy of Hosea. In Hosea 4, 6, uh, God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so, uh, man, I just, here's my, my faith, is that over these next 26 weeks, if we, as we develop a biblical worldview, here's what's going to happen. You're gonna, your life is going to be like Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you'll hear and do my word, it's like you're building your house on a rock. And it doesn't matter what storms come in your life, you will not be moved and you will not be shaken. Or it could be like, like Moses in your Old Testament. As God gives Moses the law and Moses explains it in the book of De Deuteronomy to God's people, Moses ends it all with this. He says, behold, I set before you blessing in life or cursing in death. And then Moses helps him out a little bit. Choose life. And I guess that's my appeal to us uh, here today, is that, man, you would choose life. You would choose a biblical worldview. And so... Um, here's what I, I, I've just I've, I've noticed, and, and I, I know this. So as Christians, we're called to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And listen, I've seen Christians use truth at, like a weapon. They use it just to club people and beat people down to shame them in their sin. Like I've seen, uh, man, we've had Christian cancel culture, if you will. Oh, you've been divorced, cancel you, right? You've done this, cancel you. And there, there's no room for grace and mercy and forgiveness, uh, and so uh, that, that's a sinful uh, thing to do with truth. But now I've seen, it, it's actually flipped the other way now, and now I've seen the church, our culture, uh, use weaponized love and empathy, and I think if you pay attention, you, you'll know that it's true, that that there's like uh, like there's people that are, that are holding on to biblical truth because it's the way God designed uh, the universe to work and operate. But people don't they want to go against God's truth and then they'll they'll weaponize love. They're like, hey, you put that truth down, put your truth down, otherwise you're not loving me. You're not loving me, right? And and now I see I see well-meaning Christians. They're they're just laying aside truth, what under the guise of love. And listen, I I, I get it. We don't we don't want to hurt people's feelings. But my appeal to you today is this. What about God's feelings? Like, like what about God's feelings? Are we to honor God 
or to honor people. Man, as for me, I want to honor God uh, with my life. And so uh, under the guise of love, man, people are uh, laying down truth. I'm seeing entire denominations move away from truth uh, just so they, they don't offend people. Uh, and it's wrong. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says it this way. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so, it was roughly the, the 12th or 13th century, uh, and, and you'll remember the Trojan War. Uh, it was the Greeks trying to take the city of Troy. And, and, and uh, as they tried to take Troy uh, for some 10 years, a decade, man, they, they couldn't take the city. And so seemingly in defeat, the Greeks loaded up their boats and they sailed away. But before they left, they left a massive horse. It was this horse made out of wood, uh, broken uh, ships, and it, it was massive and huge. It was believed uh, by the Trojans that the Greeks left it uh, as a, uh, a way to appease the, the goddess Athena. And so they, they actually uh, uh, rolled in this giant horse into, in behind the guarded walls of the city of Troy. They celebrated as a trophy of their victory. But in the night, here's what they didn't know. Greek soldiers were hidden inside this horse. And, and, and under uh, nightfall, the, the soldiers went out of the horse. They opened up and unlocked all the protective gates of the city of Troy. The Greeks circled back around in their boats and they absolutely ransacked the city of Troy. And, and I can't help but think that there's this Trojan horse under the guise of love that, that's wheeled in. And now all these wicked ideologies have seeped out uh, and, and oftentimes uh, even into the church. And so um, like, like, listen, uh, love, uh, it, it means so many different things today. It gets a little confusing. Like uh, I, I would say this, like uh, love, like sometimes there's this false belief that in order to love somebody, I have to fully affirm uh, everything they believe. And I just want to say that's absurd. Like, like, I love my children. I, I would give my life and die for my kids, no questions asked. Uh, but I disagree with my kids on a myriad of different things, okay? And, and so, so you mean to tell me because I disagree with them that I don't love them? It's absurd. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married for 34 years. I love my wife, but we disagree on a lot of things. And she is wrong often, okay? <laughs> I hope she's not right watching this broadcast. But in love, it also doesn't mean this. Surely if you're a parent, you know this is true. Uh, love doesn't mean uh, because something makes you happy, I need to bless it. Surely you don't believe that. Like if, like if you're a parent, you say no a lot. Why? Uh, because you hate your kid? No, you say no. What? Because you love your kid uh, and you want to protect them. And so you have to say no to a lot of things. Uh, a good coach or a good teacher. Uh, see, a, a good coach, he uh, corrects. Uh, he uh, wrong practice and a teacher corrects wrong thinking, right? And, and so, but to not do that, what is to be a bad teacher, to be a bad coach, uh, a doctor, a doctor. If he if he looks uh, at a patient and, and he he thinks, man, diagnosis, I think there's something wrong, but he doesn't say anything. Isn't that malpractice? 
And so, wow, to, to uh, disagree with somebody, uh, somebody's uh, beliefs and whatnot, man, to say that it's, uh, that it's unloving is, is absolutely absurd to me. And so over the next 26 weeks, um, uh, I promise you, I'm going to say some things that might be surprising, maybe even offensive. And some of you are going, hey, uh, uh, you've already done that, Pastor. <laughs> All right. Uh, but here's what I want to say. These things shouldn't be surprising or offensive. I'm just reading to you uh, what the Bible says, a biblical worldview. And I so want to contend for that for you and for me, because I want you to live the greatest life possible. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so um, in verse one there, here's what we get to see, man, is, is your entire life is about worship to God. Like worship isn't a, a Sunday thing. It isn't just a small group thing or, or just a Bible study thing. Man, worship, it encompasses every aspect of your life. Everything we do, we're to do it heartily as for the Lord uh, as a sign of worship. If you can think of it this way, man, spend your entire life, man, doing it heartily as for the Lord as kind of a thank you uh, for the cross. For, for the resurrection, for the Holy Spirit, for salvation. Man, our life becomes a thank you card uh, to God. And so you want to live in such a way that glorifies God and blesses the world. Your life is a living sacrifice. But then he goes on in verse 2 and, and he warns us. He says, do not be conformed. And so I like to kind of bust apart words and get to their etymology. And the, the word conformed, con, it means with or together in form, it means to mold or to shape. And so there's there's some people that, that man, there's a, a world system that wants to mold you and shape you into something. In fact, um, um, we're called to make disciples, but I got news for you. Man, the world, the world system, it's making disciples uh, right now. Like uh, the, the term disciple, it simply means a learner, a learner. And I, and I would submit this to you, is that, man, the, the world is discipling you way more than you ever, ever could imagine. So uh, actually, there was some, uh, a video, I so would love to show it here, but uh, there, there's a video, um, actually it was an experiment, and they wanted to see the power of, of peer pressure. And so uh, there was a, an elevator, and, and all the participants, uh, they were in on uh, the scam, is they knew it was an experiment, but one girl, un, unsuspecting girl who didn't know what was going on. And so all these people got into a packed elevator, and they faced the opposite way, and the girl was facing the right way towards the door. And then, so she's, you can tell she's a little uneasy, what's people doing? And then, uh, and then someone gets off and on, and they're still a part of the experiment, and they face the wrong way, so she turns a little bit. And then someone else gets on and off, and she turns a little bit more, a little bit more, until just after two minutes, she does a, a complete turnaround and is facing the wrong way. It's hilarious and terrifying all at once. Because I promise you, man, there's a world out there that's wanting to conform you uh, into uh, its image. 
Uh, like this was alarming to me. Do you know that each and every day you and I are subjected between 6,000 and 10,000 advertisements? Like you are being pummeled and bombarded with, hey, eat this, look like this, talk like this, dress like this. It, you're tr they're trying to conform you into an image. And it, if you don't believe me, just pay attention to your genes, okay? I don't mean your DNA, I mean your blue jeans. Like, like there was a time, right, uh, uh, blue jeans, they were, they were baggy. Uh, then culture said, no, they're tight. And, and then they became ridiculously tight. Now I think they might be going back over to, to baggy, right? Uh, what, they, they were bell bottoms. Uh, that's what we call them. Uh, now today they're called flares. Uh, and then it gets skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. I promise you that it's going to go back the other way like that. And then there was also like back in my day, it, it began with like just Levi's, blue jeans. Then you needed designer jeans. It was like Jordash or Gloria Vanderbilt in our day, right? And then from designer jeans, it went to acid wash jeans. And then from acid wash, it went to whole in your jeans now uh, it's not cool to have holes in your jeans anymore what's the matter with you and right you can see that they're just there man the, the peer pressure today is dictating uh, more of what you uh, feel think and do than you you uh, could ever imagine your children do you know that your children, if they, they go from uh, you know uh, kindergarten to twelfth grade, they will roughly have spent two thousand one hundred sixty days in school. That, that you break that down, that's nineteen thousand three hundred and twenty hours uh, that that the school, that teachers, they get to pound into your children whatever they want. And hey, listen, I think if you're paying attention to our education uh, education system, it's no longer just math uh, uh, and spelling, is it? They're teaching us some really, really uh, bad ideologies. And moms and dads, man, you need to look into what your children are being taught at school because they're conforming uh, your kids into uh, to a certain image. There was a guy, uh, Dr. Solomon Ash, back in the 1950s. He just did what was called the, the Ash uh, Ash. Con, uh, conformity test. It almost sounded like I said ass, right? It's ash, all right? Uh, watch your mouth, okay? The ash conformity test. And uh, and this test was was very similar to the ele ele uh, elevator experiment. And so here's what happened is, is um, there would be a, a, a test group and everyone would be on the fix except for one person. And they were they were supposed to be taking an oral test. And, and these, these questions would be absurd. Like the answer is blatantly obvious. And then they would go one by one through the group giving the answer and they would give the wrong answer but the one unsuspecting person then they're like they feel the pressure to agree with what everyone else is saying and so they'll be like the people will be like c c c and then the guy's like what in the world are they doing it's it's obviously b but then what he's pressured and he gives the wrong answer and here's what was alarming about it the ash conformity test um, that 75% uh, of the time that someone would give at least one wrong answer despite the fact that they knew full well it was the wrong answer. It, it was peer pressure. And Dr. Solomon Ash, he, he was quoted as saying this after the experiment. He says, the intelligent, well-meaning young people that are willing to call white black is a matter uh, of concern. And so, but there was, there's a piece of good news from this experiment. And this is my appeal to you today is this. 
So do you know that if, if during this experiment that someone had the boldness, the courage to, to take a stand and say, no, this is what I believe and I know to be true. When someone did that and they didn't conform to what uh, all the wrong answers that people were given, it says this, that other people, then they got the boldness and the courage to give the right answer. The thing they knew was true. Uh, and in fact, wrong answers decreased to, to less than five to 10%. And it's the power of one person who says, I'm going to make a stand for truth. And that's why I want you to be. And so it says, be not conformed. And then the verse goes on and it says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that word transformed, uh, trans means to go beyond and form again means to mold or to shape. And so transformed is you're actually going beyond just being an outward form or shape. And you're actually being changed from the inside out. And here's the way you and I are transformed by the renewal of our mind. Because the scriptures, they, they encourage us with this. The fact that the word of God, as you read it and get it on the inside of you, uh, the scripture says that, 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 man, the Bible, it's living and it's active. Like there's some active living agent on the inside of you, reordering uh, your heart and your affections. And as well that the Holy Spirit of the living God dwells on the inside of you and he's circumcising your flesh. He's writing God's law on your heart. And so now what happens? Transformation. That, that you don't just do right things, you love righteousness, right? That's different. And that is transformation. And so I love in our text too, it says, and so that you can test and approve God's will. Like um, God challenges us. He's like, hey, test and see and see if my way isn't better than the world's way. And so um, uh, I, I heard a pastor say this, and, and I can't help but believe it's true, is, you know, the best we can tell that, that Lucifer at one point was an archangel leading worship in the heavenly realms, and but then filled with pride that Lucifer, he believed he could be a better God than God. And he was, he was cast down from the heavens down to earth. And God says, man, you think you can be a better God than me? Let's see. And now what do we have? We have thousands and thousands of years of the, the reality of evidence that, that Satan is a horrible God, that this world system is broken. And what do we see? Man, they, they see when we walk with a biblical worldview, we walk in God's words, in God's ways. Man, there's beauty, there's life, there's flourishing. So there's a there's a pastor slash PhD slash author slash apologist. I mean, just think way smarter than you and me. Uh, his name is is uh, Vody Bauckham, and and Vody uh, he said this. I'm going to quote him because I thought it was such a strong statement. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to put my name to that one. But Dr. Vody Bauckham, once again, smarter than you and me. He says a secular worldview is inferior to a biblical worldview and inconsistent always. And so that's a strong statement, but I can't help but believe that it's true. That, that a secular worldview, he says it's inferior. And here's why it's inferior. It's because it's a knockoff. Like, like it's not the original. It's, it's a knockoff. It's a fake. And so, uh, like we live close to Manhattan and they have this place called Canal Street and you can go down there and, and you can get like fake Rolex, uh, fake Gucci purse, all these different things if Christians did such things, right? And here's what I know, man, th those watches, those purses and those things, man, they're trash. 
They fall apart and break in no time. Why? Because because they're counterfeit. They're knockoffs. And so so take sex. Like sex is God's beautiful and wonderful idea. And it was designed between a, a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And when it's in there, there's safety, there's flourishing, and there's life. But you take it out of that context and what happens? Inevitably, sooner or later, uh, it's going to break. And, and we just have like loads and loads of evidence uh, for this. Take as well family. God's design for the family is between one man and one woman and what they would they would be fruitful and multiply and have children and they would they would raise a family and a family would be the fabric uh, of our society but get this you you take a family uh, out of that context and what it breaks and so uh, I've said this for years, but John Hopkins University did a 33-year study, and they were trying to figure out, man, what's wrong with the world? How can we boil it down to one thing? And the one thing they came up with was this, fatherlessness. See, you, you take the family out of its normal context, and what? It, it just breaks. Or today, we see uh, so much going on with gender confusion, gender dysphoria. And listen, if that's you or your child's struggle, my heart is for you once again. But I can speak the truth in love. See, um, man, you are made biologically male or biologically female. It's, it's God's good design. And, and listen, to think that you can just all of a sudden change and switch this out by your choice, it's absurd. And you know what? You take it out of a gender's normal uh, uh, function, and what happens? It breaks all the time. And so I'll just give you uh, evidence where, man, there's a, an MMA fighter who uh, uh, was a biological male and then changed his gender and was fighting against women and cracked a woman's skull uh, in two. And we just see it. See, it always breaks when you take it out of its context. God made man and woman equal in dignity and value as image bearers of God, but what? We're wonderfully distinct and different. Um, and then, so it's not only inferior as a secular worldview, it's also inconsistent. And I don't think you can argue that. Like, so for example, man, if, if you're a secularist, like uh, you believe that we came from lucky mud and then we just evolved, right? Uh, the strong survive, that type of thing. So if evolution is your thing, why on earth would you ever help the poor, the sick, the needy, uh, the diseased, uh, those that are disabled? Why would you help any of those people? They're messing up the gene pool, all right? And, and so you can see, see, it's absurd, it's inconsistent. But uh, I, I love this one. So California, California law uh, instituted a law that says if you have a Fortune 500 company, you're obligated to have at least one woman on your board. Because the reasoning was this, that women bring something distinct uh, to the workplace. And you know what? I agree with them. That, that a woman, by nature, brings something distinct and unique, different uh, than a man. Uh, but the same state of California says that, hey, uh, anybody can have a family. Uh, two dads, two moms, doesn't matter. There's no difference. Do, do you see the inconsistency and the incongruity on that thing? And, and for the record, the Bible never talks about parents. The Bible always is, is distinct, distinguishes mothers and fathers. It never speaks of parents because what? It's God's good design for human flourishing. Uh, and then here'll be the, the last one is, you know, since the Roe v. Uh, Wade uh, flip, 
You know, it used to be, though, that uh, there could be a woman driving to the abortion clinic uh, to have an abortion. And if she was struck, uh, her car was hit by another car and she lost the baby, that individual could be charged with manslaughter. And so, again, do you see the inconsistencies in the incongruent nature of the secular worldview? But here's what I love, man, about the biblical uh, God's word and God's ways. Uh, We just read it is this, that it's always good acceptable, perfect, good, acceptable, and perfect. Notice this, that, that man, that, that God's ways, you can test it and you see that they're good. And that word for good, it's not an adjective. Um, it's Literally, it's a noun. It means it's perfect in, in essence, in nature. It's like all of God's creation, what he creates in Genesis 1. What, what do we hear? It's good. It's good. It's good. Because all God's words and God's ways are good. And get this, uh, it's, it's not just practical, it's beautiful when you see God's good ways. Like, um, so for example, um, if you've ever seen that ridiculous show, Duck Dynasty, like there was a while, man, where it was just the hottest show going on. And, and listen, Duck Dynasty had little to do with ducks or a dynasty. And here's what it had everything to do with. Do you know, it was something about their family. And at the end of every episode, they would sit around a table, laugh and break bed, bread with one another. They would pray uh, uh, over the food. And there was something beautiful and intoxicating that people were just drawn to it right? It's not just practical, it's beautiful, is God's words and God's ways. Or I love this one. Kirk Cousins, if you don't know him, he's an NFL quarterback. And for years, he's, he's an outspoken Christian. And he was kind of a punching bag for people to say he's, he's kind of a goody two-shoes, just kind of a nerdy guy, blah, blah, blah. Until Netflix uh, did a, a little docu-series called Quarterbacks. And it highlighted uh, three quarterbacks. And Kirk Cousins was one of those. And it, it gave us a peek inside Kirk Cousins, his family life, uh, his marriage. And you know what? These godly principles, as he loved his wife well. As he tucked his kid in his night, put put his hands on their head, prayed over them, right? There was something in that that was beautiful, uh, that that was drawing to people. And you know what's so funny? Now, man, everyone loves Kirk Cousins. Uh, They just can't uh, stop saying uh, nice things about him. Why? Because you're you're drawn to it. There's a goodness to the word and the ways of God. We also said this, that... And that's acceptable. I love that in the NIV version, it says that, that God's ways are they're pleasing. And listen, um, God's love for you is unshakable. Uh, it's, it's immovable. It's eternal because we've been locked in, not because of anything we do, but God loves us because of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, uh, within us, right? But while, while God's love is unshakable, the pleasure of God, now how many know that varies with our activity? And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Man, man, you love your kid, but man, you're not always pleased with your kid, depending on their behavior. In fact, I was at the uh, the grocery store the other day, and I hear this kid losing his mind. We'll just call him Little Johnny, right? And so this poor mom is pushing Little Johnny's in the grocery cart, and he's like, no, I don't want this. Give me this. And so this poor disheveled mom is running around getting this box of cereal, throws it on the ground. No, this one. Running back and forth. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I wanted to go to the woman and say, miss. Would you like me to watch your grocery cart while you go and spank your kid in the bathroom, right? Uh, I didn't do that. 
But here's what I know, man, you don't barter uh, and negotiate with a three-year-old, all right? You're the parent. You're supposed to be able to say, man, you tell the kid this is how it's going to be, right? And in the same way, just like a three-year-old shouldn't negotiate uh, with a parent, you and I, we don't get to negotiate with God. Man, uh, we walk in God's ways. We don't say, hey, God, I'll do this and this, but not that. That's not on the table. We walk in a way that's acceptable to God. But you know what? Man, I want to walk in those ways that I might please my Heavenly Father. That you and I, when we walk in His words and in, in ways, man, then man, we, we get the, the, the smile of the Lord takes place. And, and I want to do that. And then last but not least, we see that uh, God's perfect will. God's perfect will. And that, that word perfect, uh, it doesn't mean like without... Um, uh, you know, imperfections or whatever, it, it means this, the word perfect, it means mature, uh, full grown. And so God's will is perfect. It, it's mature. And so I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. So I have, I have two daughters and my, my youngest daughter, Lizzie, she was a biter. And moms and dads, did you have any biters, uh, you know, amongst your kids? Like she kept biting her sister when she didn't get something she wanted. So I'd have to spank her little bum and say, you, you're not to bite people and do that kind of stuff. Here's what's amazing. It's been some 25 years since then. My daughter, to the best of my knowledge, has not bit, bit a single person in the last 25 years. <laughs> and, uh, and here's what I know. Isn't it amazing that, that uh, m uh, my will, uh, she, her will, uh, or excuse me, her will b became my will, right? As what? As she aged, as she matured, she grew what? Perfect. And that's our story, that, that our will, as we mature and grow in God, it aligns with what God loves. So, so you love what he loves and hate what he hates. It is being transformed by the word of God. And so listen, every nation, man, the cross of Jesus Christ has, has vertically uh, made us right with God. But now our salvation, it needs to be worked out horizontally. And you and I are going to need a biblical worldview in order to do it well. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this time and this gathering, uh, Lord, uh, over the internet. And Lord, I pray, God, you know uh, everyone that's hearing uh, this this morning. I pray that you'd give ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand. Oh, God, Lord, I pray that uh, somehow, some way that, that you would use men and women, uh, that, that they would have boldness to make a stand in the earth, and that other people, their courage might rise up, and they too would be able to stand for what they know is right and true. I pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, every nation. Well, listen, uh, the sermon's over, but we're not quite finished. Uh, I just want to thank you, number one, if you've been partnering with us in your finances. Um, you can be faithful in your tithing and your offering uh, here to us at Every Nation, New Jersey. There's three ways you can do it uh, digitally. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text if you just text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977. It's a very convenient way to give. That's how my family and I give. Um, or you can mail in your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you as you're faithful uh, in your tithing and your giving. Every nation, Jesus loves you, and I think you're pretty amazing too. Go have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.